Turning this evening to the book of the Revelation and chapter 20, please. So Revelation chapter 20. And as you find your place, I'd like to bid you welcome and extend my own words of welcome to all who have gathered here and for those who are watching online. And we trust the Lord will draw especially near uh, to us this evening. The Holy Ghost will come, that He will be the preacher, and He will take possession of this earthen and weaken vessel and use me for the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20, and we will read from verse 11 and read through to the end of the chapter. So let's hear the word of the Lord. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written, and the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. And we trust the Lord will apply His Word as it's been read in our public hearing. Let's bow for prayer and let's ask the Lord to draw near. Pray along with me as God's people. that The Lord will come and He'll speak to hearts tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we come now and we ask that Thou would solemnize the atmosphere. We pray, O God, that Thou would remove from minds and hearts the things of yesterday, the things of tomorrow and the week that lies before. O God, we pray that Thou would shut us into this moment and shut us into God. We pray that the atmosphere would be heavy with our God, that the great darkness of the awe and the majesty of God would come down. And, O oh God, we pray that, that we would know that our God is near. We pray, O oh Heavenly Father, that Thou would single individuals out. O oh God, that Thou would speak very definitely to them, that this night would be unusual for them. Often their minds would run here, there, and everywhere. And yet, Lord, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, that Thou would rivet them to the preaching of the Word, O God, that Thou would have been preparing their hearts. O God, that Thou would speak very clearly and definitely to them. We pray, O God, that Thou would reveal unto them the condition of their hearts before Thee. Lord, we pray in doing that, that Thou would cause them to cast and to lift their eyes away to Jesus Christ, that they would behold the One who is altogether lovely. This is the work of the Spirit. And so this preacher stands as a candidate for the infilling of God the Holy Ghost. And I come to thee, my Father, and I simply ask for the infilling of the Spirit of God. And by faith I receive that blessed promise that thou would fill me to the uttermost. Give me utterance in the Spirit. Take possession of me, I pray, and use every faculty of my being for the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do us good, Father. Thou art good, 
and thou wilt only do thy people good. And so, Father, we pray that thou would bless us for thy Son's sake. These are petitions we ask in his precious and his worthy name with thanksgiving. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I got a call from a police officer asking me to attend court. Now, before your mind runs away with itself, let me fill you in. About 18 months ago, I was a key witness to what some would say was a serious crime. It was more than a misdemeanor, let's just put it like that. At the time, I gave a statement, and then a number of days later, I gave another statement, and I thought that was the end of the matter until I received that unexpected call. Now, while it could have been viewed as an inconvenience, I was quite intrigued. I was looking forward to it because I have never been in court when it was sitting in session. And the date was set, and my day in court came on Tuesday past. Now, having passed through security, I was taken upstairs to a little room which contained other witnesses for other cases. Now, I was green to the whole matter. I didn't really know what was going on or anything about proper court, court etiquette. The police, they arrived, and they had a little chat with me, went over the statement that I gave, and they gave my, me some advice about how to conduct myself in court. And that was because the prosecuting barrister, well, she was too busy to come and talk, talk with me because that day in court, there were 90, 90 cases to be heard. And I just thought about that, and as a little aside, what a dream on the public purse. What a symptom of the sinful heart of man. It's during times of revival that the courtrooms were emptied. What a reproach sin is to any nation. But what a blessing the gospel is to any people. Now, the only bit of court etiquette I was informed about is that I was to address the judge as your worship. So I had to just sit and wait until my time, until I was called. Thoughts ran through my head some silly, like, will the accused be there? Will he be taking note of my testimony? And then, will I be in danger? Will there be a threat upon my life, a threat upon my family? I was thinking to myself, where do I stand? Am I overdressed? Am I underdressed? If I am cross-examined, what will I say? How will I answer? Will I be tripped up on my words? And all these things were going through my mind. Then I was called and taken to the courtroom. It was all a flurry of activity. The judge was in a seat. There was a prosecuting barrister. There were two uh, defending solicitors. There seemed to be court, two court officers to the side. There was a man, maybe in my opinion, was the court clerk. There was a lady taking notes, a secretary. And there was a couple of uh, individuals there observing. Now, I was nervous, but not nervous to any great extent because I had never done, uh, or I had done nothing wrong. Not should I say I've never done anything wrong because that's not true. We have all done wrong. But in this instance, I hadn't done anything wrong. I knew what I had seen. Nevertheless, there's always something nerve-wracking about the unknown. I was called forward to the witness stand. I was offered the choice, depending on my beliefs, if I would take the oath or affirm. I took the Word of God in my right hand, and I took the oath, saying the words, I swear by Almighty God, that the evidence I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. My statements were read out by the judge, and then he asked, are there any questions? To which the defense solicitor replied, no, your worship. 
And I was told, that will be all, Mr. Stewart. I couldn't believe it. There I was. I was all prepared. I was a key witness. I thought I was going to clinch this case. I had been running over everything in my mind, the events of that night. And all that I was asked to do in court was to swear the oath, to say that that was my statement, and then I was asked to leave. The whole thing was a short, but it wasn't a wasted experience. Because the whole time I kept thinking about the day of judgment that's revealed in the Word of God. And the things that I heard and the things that I saw were but a foreshadowing of that great event that is yet to happen. And my thoughts during the week were therefore turned to this portion in Revelation chapter 20. This is a solemn passage. These are fearful and true words. Ought to fill the heart of the unbeliever with dread and cause them to consider how they stand before God. And we're going to consider the words that we have read this evening. Tonight I have entitled my message, God's Courtroom. And we're going to look at this portion under three headings. God's Courtroom. Firstly, notice with me the audience. We are told who will be in attendance in God's Courtroom from verses 11, 12, and 13. Let's look at verse 11 in the first place. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no more place for them. In court on Tuesday, I had to address the judge as your worship. But here is one who is truly worthy of man's respect and honor. The reference is undoubtedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told many times in Scripture that the final judgment is committed unto him. When Paul preached in Athens, he told the people there that there was a day that has been appointed by God by which he will judge the world by that man whom he hath ordained, the one that he raised from the dead, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the service, we read from Matthew chapter 25, and there we see so vividly that Christ is the one who sits upon the throne of glory before whom all nations will be gathered. Paul writing to Timothy to intensify the solemnity and seriousness of what he was about to say to him, wrote these words, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The Lord Jesus himself said in John chapter 5 and verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And in light of that, all should therefore honor the Son. They should respect Him, they should obey Him in a manner which He deserves. This is who you should honor, sinner. Honor Him with your attention to the Word of God tonight. It's not honoring if you're sitting on your phone. It's not honoring if you're chatting to someone else. But you are to honor God. You are to respect the Son. You are to give attention to the Word of God. You are to honor Him by obeying the gospel. You're not to turn your back on Him. Not so many do at the end of a gospel service. They turn their back once again on the Son of God. That's not respect. That's not honor to the one who is highly exalted. Be careful how you treat him, sinner. You are to honor the Son. Judgment is committed into his hand. Now the throne of judgment is described using two adjectives upon which 
the Lord Jesus Christ sits, great and white. It is great in the sense that there is none higher. It is great in the sense that there is no authority more powerful. It is great in the sense that it takes center stage and all eyes are fixed on it, that all centers upon it and the one enthroned. He is the one who is in absolute control of the scene. You will not be in control that day, sinner. You will not take center stage, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the judge of all the earth, will be sitting upon a great throne of judgment. You will stand before a great throne. It's also described as white, for the color white in Scripture, it frequently represents purity and righteousness. The judgments that proceed from this throne, they're perfectly just, they are right, and they're according to divine wisdom. Be assured, saint and sinner, there'll be no miscarriages of justice on that day. There will be no failure in the divine judicial system to obtain the ends of justice. Bribes will not sway this judge, and no one will get off with some silly technicality. Now why we have a description of the throne? The Apostle John here makes no attempt to describe the one who sat upon the throne. We can go back to Revelation chapter 4, and I ask you to do that. And there we have a description of the one enthroned among the glorified saints. Revelation chapter 4, and look at verse 2. It says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Then down in verse 5, it tells us there, And out of the throne proceedeth lightnings and thunderings and voices. There John is straining at language to describe what he saw. But here in chapter 1, or 21, upon the throne of judgment, though it is the same person, it's as if John has reached the limits of language and he cannot describe the judge's glory. Rather, he speaks of the effect of his glory. For he says, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there is found no more place for them. The word face in Scripture, it often refers and stands for the presence of the entire person. From the presence of the Lord, earth and heaven will recede away. Just as the stars fade away when the sun arises, so the earth and heaven will, as it were, vanish from the sight of the human eye when the Son of God shall descend from glory to judge this world. We read a number of times in the Bible, where the natural creation shrinks back and it's moved and at awe at the very presence of God. Take Psalm 114. In the verses 5 to 7, for example, and the question is asked, What yield thee, O sea, that thou fleddest? Thou, Jordan, that thou was driven, ye mountains that skipped like rams and little hills like lambs, tremble thy earth. At the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Revelation chapter 6. When the sixth seal is opened, we read there on heaven, the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. The flight of his own creation from before his unmitigated presence 
will produce a degree of terror within the hearts of sinners who are about to stand before the gaze of a holy God. You see, when Christ will come to judge the world, they will call, they will cry for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, but they will have fled from the presence of the Lord. There will be absolutely nothing to cover you on that day, sinner. There will be no place for you to hide, but you will stand exposed before the brilliance of the Lord's glory. From His face, the earth and the heavens, they fled away. There will be nowhere for you to hide. This is the one with whom you have to do, sinner. He will be present in God's courtroom. The judge of the earth will be there, but others... There are others identified as being present in God's courtroom. John goes on to say, Revelation 20, in the verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Then verse 13, Part A, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. On Tuesday, when I was chatting to the police, before the case, they they told me I would have to wait because... The defendant was a no-show. Now, like me, I'm sure, I'm sure he knew the date. And he knew the time of the court case. And I don't know if he actually did turn up. There's a law that allows that court case to proceed. But this I know from this account, all, all will be present on that day. There will be no absentee. The dead, small and great, will stand before God. And that, dear friend, is really a synonym for all men. Every category, whatever grouping you might want to place yourself in, all will be present. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, the low, the high, the weak, the powerful, the obscure, the famous. The born, the free, the living, and the dead, everyone will stand before God on an individual basis as they are and not how they think they are. See, there's two places that are the great levelers of mankind. It's the cross and the great white throne judgment. For it doesn't matter what category you belong to when you're standing there. The reference to the dead. I saw the dead, small and great. It is not, as some suggest, that only the spiritual, spiritually dead will be present at the great white throne judgment. No, the dead are mentioned. The dead are mentioned because not even death itself will be able to prevent anyone from attending God's courtroom. And that's what verse 13 emphasizes. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Death will not prevent any from being attendance at God's courtroom. When Christ returns, there will be that general resurrection. The bodies of the dead will be reunited with their souls to stand before God as well as those who are alive upon the earth at Christ's appearing. He is the judge of the quick, the alive and the dead. Both the righteous and the wicked will be there. 
We read in Matthew 25 that the sheep and the goats will be before him. The Apostle Paul, he's very emphatic about the fact that he will be judged. He says, He that judgeth me is the Lord. He tells the Romans that God will render to every man, every man according to his works. Chapter 14 of the book of Romans, verse 10, he so clearly states, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He writes the same thing, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear, all of us, before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether good or bad. All of humanity will be judged at the great white throne of God. All will not be condemned, but all will be judged. Yes, the believer will be judged in the sense that they will give an account of their service unto the Lord, and they will be rewarded. And there's a great mystery in that, and yet that's what the Scripture reveals. But the saints will stand in the presence of the Lord. To them there will be no fear, there will be no trembling. For they shall see His face and His name shall be on their forehead. And really that is the ultimate blessing of the eternal state to be in the, in the presence of the Lord. And that's what they have longed for their whole lives. And so the saints will be there. They will stand before Him without fear of condemnation for their sins have been removed. But for the righteous, the, the unrighteous, the opposite will be true. The immediate presence of God will be a terror unimagined by them. For they will be the object of His wrath and righteous judgment. The audience, secondly this evening, the evidence. Verse 12. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. This will not be circumstantial evidence. This will be concrete evidence that will be presented in God's courtroom. The prophet Daniel, he prophesied of this very same thing that John saw in his vision. Daniel 7, verse 10, where we read these words, The judgment was set and the books were opened. The books will be opened. Now, these books are God's witnesses against those who are present, especially the wicked. We must understand that this is figurative language, for the Lord does not need the books to remember Man's sins. However, as John Gill made this comment, this judgment out of the books and according to works is designed to show with what accuracy and exactness, with what justice and equity, it will be executed. It will be judgment out of the books. When the books of God are open, what shocks will seize the hearts of the souls of those who have no righteousness, who have no standing and no atonement before the supreme justice. 
With the opening of the books, every crime, every offense, every sin ever committed in mind and heart and deed shall be exposed. Sins forgotten and those sins that are etched upon your memory, even things that you do not even realize are sins, all will be presented in God's courtroom. In the Scripture, God is often represented as writing and keeping books. And according to these books, man will be judged. What are the books that will be opened? What exhibits of evidence will God bring to the court on that day? Well, can I suggest some to you? The book of divine omniscience and remembrance will be opened. We read of that in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. You see, there's nothing that can be hid from God. Something that we thought about two Sunday evenings ago. He sees it all. He knows it all. The eye of the Lord is in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The book of divine omniscience and remembrance will be opened. see if God has not forgotten about your sin, though you may have. The book of creation will be opened. It's because of man's sin. that creation was made subject to vanity, as we read in Romans chapter 8. The earth groans, the earth sighs under the feet of sinners who use the earth's resources to indulge the the fleshly desires of their heart. To blaspheme God who made it. They breathe in the air. They eat the food. They drink the water. They use the darkness of the night caused by the rotation of the earth as a covering for their sin. They take what God has created. They pervert it. They misuse it. And the creation sighs under their feet. And God will call on that day heaven and earth to record of how you have misused His creation for your sin. The book of divine providence will be opened. The record of God's merciful dealings with you. How He has spared you. How He has given you opportunity. He's prevented you from being at this very moment swept out into eternity. He's given you another opportunity. And God will open the book of divine providence. And He will show you every gospel opportunity you had. Every lesson you heard from a Sunday school teacher. Every evening devotion you heard at a mother's knee. And the book of providence will be opened. The book of God's holy law will be opened. The standard, the precepts, the commands, the prohibitions which sinners have broken, disobeyed, and and disregarded sinners will be judged by what is written in the books according to their works. That is, their works of iniquity. This is not a case, we could say, of good works, so-called good works, outweighing bad deeds. This is the presentation of the evidence that God will bring on that day of every, every unrepentant, unforgiven sinner. He has a record of it all, and it will stand against their account. They will be speechless, and they will have absolutely no defense, and therefore doomed, and they will know it. They will know it. But what about the Christian? Because I said, we'll all be there. We'll all be there. We'll be gathered in families. 
Will we be gathered as nations? Will we be gathered as congregations? We'll all be there. What about the Christian, you might ask, have they not sinned? Did they not at one time burden God's creation with their iniquity? Did they not spurn the gracious providence of God? Have they not transgressed God's law? Well, the answer to all those questions is, yes, they have, but there's a big difference because we read of another book that is opened, which is the book of life. It is singled out from among the other books because of its paramount importance. This book, it's also mentioned earlier in the chapters of this book of Revelation. Chapter 3, go back there, and the verse number 5. Chapter 3, verse 5, we read these words. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Read off it again. Chapter 13 and the verse 8. Chapter 17 and the verse 8. It's a book which contains the record of the names of all those who are the Lord. It is called the book of life because those names that are contained therein, they will live with the Lamb forever. It's the book of life. Again, this is illustrative language. But it gives us some understanding of the fact that God knows them that are His. He has a record. He knows those who have been born from above, who are clothed in raiment made white by the blood of the Lamb. You see, those who are in this book of life, they have had the record of their sins blotted out by the work of Christ on the cross. He took their sin upon Himself. He expunged it from their account, and He was treated as the guilty one in their stead. He suffered and He died, silencing the condemnatory cry of the broken law that was against His people. He satisfied the justice of God. He ransomed their soul from hell by the shedding of His blood. They are viewed in Christ. They are judged in Him. And therefore, they are not condemned. His work of perfect obedience answers for them. His righteousness is placed on their account. And they are justified in the sight of God. Therefore, they are not sentenced. They are not sentenced. But they are, as we read, they enter into the joy of their Lord. Their sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. By the work of Christ, they are so far remitted that they are as if they were never even committed. For God remembers their sin no more. Child of God, let the question, let the doubt be settled in your mind tonight. Will the Christian face their sins at the judgment seat of Christ? No. It's an impossibility. Christ has bore them all away and paid the penalty for them. This is the good news. You and I, we have a date with God's courtroom. 
And while all will be judged, all will not be condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the question, sinner. Is your name written there? On those pages, bright and fair, is your name written in the book of life? If you want to be up there, then down here you must prepare, and your name must be in the book of life. Sinner, what must you do to prepare? Well, the song goes on to say, Get down on your knees and pray. You from sin must turn away, or your name will not be in the book of life. If you'll turn to Jesus now, and His feet you humbly bow, then your name will be in the book of life. There is no other use made of this book of life and the judgment other than to observe whose names are not written in it. And that brings me to my last point this evening. The audience, the evidence, the sentence. Verse 15, chapter 20. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Well, this is not complicated. It's not difficult to understand. God uses the imagery here of books in the courtroom scene to accommodate us so that we would comprehend the, the final judgment that is to come. He speaks to us in plain language, something that you and I can understand. Books being open, a record laid out before us, a courtroom scene, a judge there. And here's the sentence. You know, this is nothing other than great love on the part of God. Nothing other than love on the part of God to you, sinner, that He would reveal this to you in order that you might make preparation, in order that you might by faith rest upon the One who is the righteous advocate. To come to the One who will plead your cause and present and present the wounds of Calvary as the objective satisfaction of God's wrath. God he would have been perfectly just in keeping a veil upon eternity. Not drawing aside the curtain for us here in the book of the Revelation, but He did this in His great love and grace. He makes it known unto you. He's warning you. He wants you to know about this. He wants you, yes, to feel the dread, the fear within your soul in order that you might make preparation for this great day. You must do something with this message as you have heard. Don't ignore it. Don't despise it. But take heed, for here we read of the awful sentence of those who are not found written in the book, the Lamb's book of life. Those who are not saved and washed in the Redeemer's blood, they are cast into the lake of fire. One by one, God will call the wicked before His throne and judge them and condemn them and as he says, depart ye cursed, the angels will come and carry them away. And you know, that shows their reluctance to go away into everlasting perdition, but the angels will take them away to the bottomless pit where the air is thick with the pungent stench of sulfur 
and where the smoke of the torment rises up forever and forever. In that day, there'll be no opportunity. There'll be no plea bargain. There'll be no bail set. There'll be no mercy. There'll be no hope. There'll be no escape to everlasting punishment. They must go. To everlasting punishment, they deserve to go. This is not a pleasant thing to hear. It's not a pleasant thing to preach about. For there may be some here tonight, and you will not only hear this with your ears, but you will experience this with your soul and body. You will find yourself in the lake of fire, which is fanned by the breath of God's fury, and will not be quenched by the multitude of your tears. Who can describe the lake of fire? I certainly cannot. I have read men on this in my study, and and to be honest, they too are at a loss to communicate its horrors we sang tonight. Horrors beyond imagination. Just as the glories of heaven are inconceivable to the human mind, so too are the horrors of hell. In lake of fire, the lost will know punishment without pity, misery without mercy, sorrow without succor, crying without comfort, and that for all eternity. You know what is that word forever? It's the word forever. Well, that will deepen your torture and extinguish your hope. The lake of fire. The Lord accommodates our weakness. But to the lake they must go if their name is not in the book of life. I urge you, sinner, I urge you this night to turn to Christ. I plead, I plead with you to repent of sin because God someday will open the books. Everyone shall have their day in God's courtroom. Everyone will bow before the judge of all the earth who is worthy to be worshipped, but not everyone will hear the condemning sentence, only those who are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. Sinner, I ask you tonight, would you rather not have your sins blotted out than your name blotted out? Is that not a reasonable thing to ask you? Would you not rather have all the record of your sin blotted out than your name blotted out? Come to Christ today. Come now. He will receive you. May God give you grace to come this night. I know we have the Lord's table.
But don't let that put you off from speaking to the Reverend Greer or myself. I'm conducting the table. The Reverend Greer will be free. You need to sort it. We will all be there. All of us. I trust you will be found on Christ's right hand as He separates the sheep from among the goats. May the Lord have mercy upon your soul. Let's bow in prayer. It's a solemn text and we feel that no preacher could ever do it justice and yet it is the record that lies before us. Pray that the Lord will speak to your heart. Our God and our Father, we bow before Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus. We come to Thee, Lord, those of us that are Thy people, and we thank Thee that Christ has taken out of the way the writing of the ordinance that was against us by His work on the cross, and by the shedding of His blood. And we are not condemned. Rather, we are comforted as Thy people. We thank Thee, Father, for sins that have been removed and washed in the Redeemer's blood. And yet, Lord, as Thy people, someday we will stand there and give an account of our service. That's a solemn thing. Lord, we pray that we would serve Thee in our own day and generation. But we think very particularly of those who are not saved, who are amongst us tonight, and the record of their sin is lengthening day by day. Thou art recording it in Thy books. Creation groans and sighs under their feet as they labor and cumber the ground by their sinning. O God, providence again will be written up this evening as they have said underneath the Word of God. The law written upon the heart doth witness and testify against them. O God, I pray that Thou would speak to them. Speak to young and old. Speak across the internet. And we pray that Thou would bring sinners to the land. We thank Thee for him. We thank the Lord for this revelation. Lord, that's a revelation of love. That thou would ever make us aware of such things. Speak, Lord, we pray. Remember those who will remain around the table of the Lord. We pray that, Lord, that thou would tarry with us. It is towards evening. Turning alongside, we pray. May it be a blessing to our souls. Strengthen us in our faith. Increase and deepen our love for Jesus Christ. And in doing so, draw us closer the one to the other. Now, Father, as the others would leave, we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit will be the portion of thy people this night and forevermore. These things I pray in Christ's precious and his worthy name. Amen.